you will please turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to continue this consideration of this passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, that is anxious, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Last week we considered how to be abased. And how to be content in that abasement. And this week, we need to consider times of abounding. The Lord has ordained many things in your life. He's ordained ups and downs. He's ordained joy. And he's ordained sorrow. And it is God's will that in all these things, we glorify him. We sanctify the name of the Lord in whatever state we are. And we considered last week how this was something Paul says he had to learn. He was instructed. That means it isn't something that comes easy. Sometimes it comes very hard. Now, what are these states that he found himself in? Abased, abounding, everywhere, in all things. He had to learn how to be full and to be hungry. And he stated how he was able to do this. He was able to do all these things through Christ who strengthened him. Today, what I want to look at is the joy and danger of abounding. There is joy that comes in times of abounding, but there's traps you can fall into. And we need to consider that. Let's start with Paul himself. Paul, was, as we look in his life, after his call to be an apostle for the Lord Jesus, we don't see a whole lot of outward abounding. We don't see him with great health. We don't see him loved by the world. We don't see him abounding in prosperity and riches. So when he talks about abounding, I wonder what kind of abounding he's talking about. Because it doesn't look like it's any kind of worldly, earthly abounding. And although I think he did have times of enjoyment with brothers in the Lord where, you know, they were taking care of him and doing well, the, the whole course of his ministry really was a course of, of suffering. And we looked at that last time. How he, when he was forced to defend his ministry, how he talked about all the many things he had gone through. How many times he had been beaten. How many times he had been rejected and shipwrecked. 
and, and all these terrible things he had gone through in his faithfulness to the Lord. But I think this, the abounding he's talking about here is a spiritual abounding. And there is a danger even in spiritual abounding. Now, you wouldn't think that. You would think that in a spiritual abounding, that would be the safest place you could be. But let's look at what Paul has to say about this. If you'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul talking about, again, in this context of defending his ministry against his detractors. In verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul says this. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now consider this. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, lest he be exalted above measure. God poured out his grace upon him, revealed to him things that ordinarily Christians don't get to see. So why was it necessary for him to have this thorn in the flesh given to him? Here's the reason why. Because we still have a sin nature. And even Paul still had the sin nature. And it is a tendency of the old man to abuse God's mercies. It's a tendency of the old man to take advantage and presume on God's grace. And God was merciful, although he fitted Paul for a powerful ministry. And showed him marvelous things. God made him weak. He said that here. He made me weak. And the reason why is so that he would depend on the Lord. And only on the Lord. To keep him low. To keep him humble. And to keep that old man in check. It was necessary. There is a danger even in spiritual abounding. This is the reason why we're talking about these things today. What every Christian should seek is a close, strong fellowship and communion with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. 
But remember that in that fellowship and communion with the Lord, he's going to discipline you and teach you, and he's going to conform you to the image of his son. And remember that even the son of God learned obedience through the things he suffered. Don't be surprised that the closer you get to the Lord, the more troubles you have in your life. That comes with a spiritual abounding, but it's worth it. Look what Paul said here. It was worth it. He could rejoice in his infirmities. He could glory in his weakness. He was happy to be weak because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The less there is of me, the more there is of Christ. That's where God wants to bring you to in your heart. So there is a spiritual abounding that we should seek for. But let's talk about godly contentment in abounding. You know that it's possible to be discontent while you're abounding? We see that every day in the world, don't we? But you know that there's a discontent that can come even in spiritual abounding? Now, there's a right kind of discontent. If you're discontent with your sins, that's a good thing. If you're discontent that, that maybe you're not as close to the Lord as you should be, that's a good contentment, discontentment too. But there's a bad discontentment that can come in spiritual abounding, a very dangerous discontentment. And a lot of people can fall into this. You have to be very careful here. Let's look at one of the Old Testament saints, we're going to look, we're going to consider King Uzziah. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. This is a very good lesson we can learn here. The son of Uzziah is named Jotham. And it's a wonderful thing about King Jotham, who took over after Uzziah, that he was a godly man, as was King Uzziah. But see, he paid attention to his father and he learned from his father's mistakes. He took from his father the good things that he learned, but he observed where his father made mistakes and he didn't repeat them. That's wisdom when you can learn from other people's mistakes. But King Uzziah, let's look at him. In chapter 26 of Second Chronicles, 1 through 5, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but in 1 through 5, then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him a king in the room of his father Amaziah. And he built Eloth and restored it to Judah, after that the king slept with his fathers. Six, 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 2 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding and divisions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord God, God made him to prosper. Now, continues on through the chapter with this list of successes of Uzziah. Things that he built, wars that he waged. He's doing good. He's winning. And he's depending on the Lord, and he's getting the victory. But look what happens in verse 15. And he made in Jerusalem engines, that is like catapults, things like that, invented by cunning men, 
to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men, and they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, and Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, it's a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now we see Uzziah, a good king. And I will say, in other places in the scripture here, he is noted as a good king. He is one of the kings who is faithful. But here he made a terrible mistake. What happened with Uzziah? Why did God strike him? You see, only the priests were allowed to go in and offer the incense. And he was the king. He was not a priest. He had no business going in there. So what would make him think that it was okay? It was because he had been blessed. He was successful. He had been drawn near to the Lord. He had honored God, and God had honored him. And he got puffed up. He presumed on God's grace. He wasn't thinking. He thought maybe the rules would be different and relaxed for him. God had blessed him, hadn't he? God had shown his approval. And yet, when he, when he disobeyed God, he suffered the consequences for that disobedience. What was the virtue that Uzziah lacked? Godly contentment. Why couldn't he have been content with where he was? He wasn't content spiritually in a godly fashion. He wanted to grasp for something God had said no to. And just thinking that your sincerity will make you, you safe is wrong. To think that. Sin is always dangerous. And don't think because you're trying to, to do some good out of it that God's going to honor that. God's not going to honor that. Let me give you a modern example. Today, in our culture, we know the churches, many of the churches have become disobedient to the word of God by allowing women to take the place of pastoring or preaching in the church. Now, there are many women who I believe would be more qualified than me 
to stand up behind this pulpit. Godly women, full of faith, knowledgeable of the scripture. And it would be tempting to think, well, well, if they're if they got all these qualifications, why shouldn't they be allowed? Because God said no. And that's good enough. And when you usurp into things that God has forbidden, God's not going to bless that. And truly, we have seen the results of that, haven't we? If you look at the culture, you look at the churches that have transgressed God's will in this, is there a blessing there? No, there isn't. It's harmed them spiritually. It's done a lot of harm. So we have to keep within the bounds God has set for us. God is loving. He's made his rules for our good and for his glory. And we must respect that. And not think that we're wiser than God. We must be content with God, with what God has commanded and ordained. Godly contentment. So even when you're trying to serve the Lord, even when you believe your intentions are good and right, that you're trying to honor God, you have to make sure that you're honoring God God's way, the way he's commanded. You can't just do it your way. You've got to do it God's way. There's plenty of examples you can probably think of from the scripture where people who are trying to do things, they're trying to do right things, but they did them the wrong way, disaster struck. So let's remember Uzziah, a good man, a godly man, a man who went to heaven, but who suffered a severe penalty for transgressing God's will. God will honor those who honor him, but he will not relax his righteous rules. We must be content, a godly contentment with his ways. Abounding times require a great spiritual maturity. We all want abounding times, don't we? I mean, I don't want to suffer. You know, I don't want to go without food. And I don't want to, you know, not be able to get employment. And I certainly don't want to lack spiritual blessings. I don't want the Lord to hide his face from me. I don't want to feel my prayers are going nowhere and bouncing right back in my face. I want to know the communion of the Holy Spirit. I want those spiritual blessings. But spiritual blessings and physical blessings require spiritual maturity so that they're used correctly. Now let's consider Job. Think about Job. We mostly think about Job, the patience of Job in his affliction, don't we? And he suffered much. But a lot of times we don't consider Job was very faithful and abounding too. Matter of fact, a perfect Christian, a mature Christian, is going to be able to be faithful to God in being abased and in abounding. And we do see that in Job. If you turn to Job chapter 1, Job chapter 1, verse 1. 
There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was a perfect and upright, was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Notice that it's God who brings up the subject of Job, not Satan. God brings him up. And notice that in Job's abounding time, he's very faithful. And notice his humility. He fears sin. He worries about sin. He's concerned about maintaining his relationship with the Lord. And notice the praise that, Job's get, that Job gets. He gets praise from God. That's the praise you should look for. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. What matters is what God thinks about you. What, isn't that awesome? What else can you, what could be better than that? To have God proud of you. God showing you off. And now we know what happens in the rest of the story, don't we? What Satan says. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Job, he likes you a whole lot. But it's only because all this good stuff you've done for him. Let me have him for a little while and he'll spit in your face. That's what Satan says. And what does the Lord say? Have at it. So Job proves himself faithful in abounding and in being abased. So we have to be prepared to glorify God in the same way. We don't know what the Lord has in store for us. But God has given us wonderful examples in the scripture to follow. Think about the advantage you have over Job. He didn't have a whole big book of God's promises. We have much more advantage. We have the Son of God who has come, who has already come, who has... Now, Job was looking forward to the Messiah. He knew there was a Savior coming for him. He says it very clearly. But we've already known the Lord has come. He's succeeded in atoning for our sins. He has risen and ascended to heaven. We have way more advantage to Job. So we should be prepared also, like Job, to be faithful in times of abounding and in times of abasement. God says that in Ecclesiastes, in the times of prosperity, be joyful. Be joyful in the times of prosperity. 
But in the time of adversity, consider that God has set the one against the other, that a man might find nothing behind him. See, God is going to bring a balance in your life. He has ordained happy times for you, and he's ordained sad times for you. And this way, that all of our hope and all of our focus is on God. He knows what's best for us. Our tendency is to abuse mercies. It's very rare. If you look in the scripture and you look at the saints of God, you'll find that most of them, where they have their trouble, is in times of abounding. Think about it. The, the saints that we look up to and we hold up as examples for faith and faithfulness, examples we should follow, we think of them in their times of affliction. But if you look many times in their times of, of abounding, that's where they failed. You think about a great king like Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, in hard times, he was so trusting in God and humble. He would pray and turn to God and God would answer those prayers. He learned how to depend on God. And God blessed him. And God gives him a period of peace and prosperity. And he starts to get a little loose. Starts to get a little proud of the possessions that he had. He's going to show them off to the emissaries from Babylon. And what happens? God says, you've got to be punished for that. Faithful saint, at times of abounding, he found himself stumbling. So we have to really pay attention in times of abounding. We're going to look at, at the end of this, we're going to go through what I believe are some helps in times of abounding, considerations that will help us from tripping up. David and Bathsheba, we know what happened there. David, we read the Psalms, we look at the life of David, how much he went through, how he learned to trust in the Lord and grew strong in the Lord. He learned how to pour his heart out before the Lord. He learned how to be a champion in hard times. And he was a champion in hard times. What he wasn't ready for was good times. So there he is. God's brought him to the kingdom. Everything is going great. He's taking it easy. Walking around on the top of his palace. And he looks down. He sees something he shouldn't have looked a second look at. And next thing you know, he's in big trouble. He let his guard down in times of prosperity. You cannot let your heart fail in a time of prosperity. You have to guard your heart at all times. Abounding times can drown out the spiritual and make you unfruitful. Now we know the parable of the soils. That the Lord Jesus uh, gave us. And one of the soils was that weedy soil he talked about. One of the thorny ground. And he talked about how that described the things of this life. The occupations and pleasures and, and busyness of this, of this life. And how these things drown out. The good seed, make it unfruitful. We have to be aware of that danger and in our lives, not allow the ordinary things of life 
to take our focus from the spiritual. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of other things, those are, they're secondary. And God's going to take care of those things, but we must never slack in putting God first. I was thinking about this this week. I'm thinking about contentment and thinking about people. And you know that in this world, there's a lot of people who are celebrated. Worldly, earthly people. If you look at the news or you look on the Internet and you look at the kind of people who are celebrated, we have a lot of multi-billionaires, right? They're very famous and celebrities and musicians. And these are the people that get the praise in this world. But are these people ever content? Think about them. Think about these millionaires. They're never, there's never enough money. Never enough money. They live for more, 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 more. You think about these celebrities. There's never enough fame, never enough attention. They're always, and they're willing even to degrade themselves just to get people looking at them, just to get people's praise. There are people in this world, they call them stars. But they're really more like black holes. What is a black hole? It's a star that's collapsed in on itself. And you think about a black hole. Does a black hole give anything? Doesn't give anything, does it? It just takes. It pulls in. Light can't even escape from a black hole. Have you ever known somebody like that? You probably have. You have somebody, they're just a taker. Just take, take, take. They don't give anything. But what does a star do? A star gives light. A star gives direction too. Did you know that you are compared to a star by the Lord? It's true. In Daniel chapter 12, I'll read it for you. And it's describing the struggles of uh, the saints. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, I'm just going to read the one verse, not the context, but... In the context, it's talking about the saints of God and the trials they must endure toward the end times. And he says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's what you're supposed to be like. But that's only going to be possible if you are full of contentment in God. Think about it. It's out of God's fullness that he gave us his son and you will only be able to give out of fullness only in your contentment in god will you be able to shine like a star and give direction from your heart must flow the holy spirit it's only going to come from your relationship with god your contentment in god your joy in God, that joy is going to go to others. Your love from God, that love shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, it's only through that love of God, your love for God and God's love for you, 
that you're going to be able to give love to others. It is an astonishing thing that abounding times can lead to ingratitude toward God. Now, that kind of goes opposite of what you would expect. You would think that in times of prosperity and abounding and happiness, that you would be filled with more gratitude, right? That's actually as it should be. But again, we have a sin nature. And the sin nature is always going to go counter to what's right. There is a sinful principle in your heart, even you born-again Christian, that is going to try to turn you to ingratitude in times of abundance, in times of blessing. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, we'll see what the Lord has to say about this in the law and his warning to his people before they go into the promised land. And he describes not only what could happen, but what did happen. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water who brought thee forth out of the rock of flint who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. That's the tendency. To forget God and to take the glory. I'm going to take the glory for myself. Forget all about the trials God's brought you through, how many times he's had to step in and rescue you, it just passes out of your mind. You start to get, start thinking of yourself. Some great thing. Forget all about God. And that's exactly what happened. God's warning them against this here. In times of abundance. What they were supposed to do is what he said in verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, thou shalt bless the Lord thy God. For the good land which he hath given thee. It should have inspired their hearts to more love and more faithfulness to God. 
When God gives you a time of peace and prosperity, it's a time to draw closer to God, to take advantage of that time, to seek the Lord. But we have an opposite tendency to go away from the Lord in times of abundance. So abounding times can lead to ingratitude. Abounding times can lead us to trusting in earthly things instead of God. It's another thing. Not just the enjoyment of abounding times can take our heart away, but they can even become object of our faith. Many people who have success in this world and end up making a lot of money or maybe they have a powerful position and they come to depend on that. That becomes their hope. That becomes their God. That becomes their focus. Martin Luther said something very, uh, very accurate. He said, if you want to know who your God really is, Think about where you turn in your time of trouble. When you're scared and afraid, what comes to your mind to turn to? That's your God. If, you, if the first thing you think about is all the money you got saved up, first thing you think about is you got powerful friends, you got a position that will protect you, get you through your job maybe, Wherever your, your mind goes, cast in that time of trouble, that's your God. So if you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns believers, Paul is talking to Timothy, and talking about the various uh, things that he's going to have to deal with in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 6, he warns against this, Tendency. First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high minded, nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that means share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So even at this time in the church, and, and today in any church, you're going to have people who are doing well, financially you're gonna have people who are not doing well and you're gonna have people in the middle that's in every age of the church you're going to have that and there is a danger for people who are doing really well to begin to rely on that earthly prosperity that becomes their trust that becomes their hope becomes a focus and instead of that you're supposed to look upon that prosperity as an opportunity to serve. An opportunity to honor God. What God has given you, He's given you for the purpose of glorifying Him. 
And you can glorify God. Listen, you can glorify God just as much in poverty as you can in prosperity. Because it's all about the heart. That's what God looks at. If it was necessary for you to be healthy and happy and wealthy to serve him, he would make sure every Christian had those things. But it isn't necessary. What's necessary is your heart. What's necessary is faith. What's necessary is love. What's necessary is reverence for God. And you can do all of those things, whether you're poor or rich. But remember, even Jesus warned about this, about how hard it is for those who have earthly riches to enter into the kingdom of God, because it's easy for it to take your heart away. And I think here, for a believer who's wise and is using their prosperity to serve others and be a blessing, I think there's less chance of that happening. Because instead of seeing their wealth and riches as, a, as an object, a way of uh, protecting themselves, a security and a hope, they see it as a tool, a tool to glorify God. I think if you keep in mind what wealth is for, you're a whole lot less likely to fall into this trap. So we have to beware trusting in prosperity and find our contentment in the Lord. And the final um, danger that I uh, want to consider about abounding times is that they can blind you to your true spiritual condition. In Revelation chapter 3, we see Christ's letter to the churches, the, uh, his letters to the churches, and one particular church, Laodicea, receives a particularly scathing letter. And it doesn't appear that these Christians are up to really bad things. They're not involved in heinous sins. We don't read that they're, you know, selling out to the pagan culture, you know, denying Christ under pressure or anything like that. What is it that has happened here? If you look here, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So here we have a church... That when it considers itself, it's totally off of where they really are. They're judging their spiritual condition by their outward prosperity. They assume that because things are going well for them, that they have God's blessing. And Jesus informs them that they are much mistaken. They think they can see, but they're blind. They think that they they have nice clothes and they're naked. Poor and wretched, but they think they're prosperous. 
Because Jesus is talking about spiritual things. That's the most important thing. And he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. What is that gold? Tried in the fire. What is that? That's faith, isn't it? Isn't that describing it? Peter describe it that way? Us having to go through trials and hard times, that's what's refining us. Just like gold is refined. He talks about how your faith is more precious than gold. That's what they were lacking. They had it too good. They had it so good that it was hurting them. And they didn't even know. Think about that. They didn't even know it. So prosperity times can stumble you. Can stumble you spiritually. We have to be much in the word. And focus on the spiritual. Never judge your spiritual condition by what's going on outwardly. The scripture says a man cannot know love or hate by what's before him. What that's talking about is the things in your life that are happening are not the guide of your relationship with God. Because those who are loved by God can go through really terrible hard times. And they're still beloved of God. And there are those that are cursed of God, but everybody in the world would think they're blessed. Because it looks like they've got it made. But they got God's curse. Never judge your spiritual condition by what's going on outwardly in your life. Prosperous times can blind you. So beware of that. Stay much in the word and in prayer. Don't be blinded by the world and the outward things. So, I wanted to give six considerations that I hope will help us to remember these things. About abounding times. First of all, abounding times are not forever. Remember the original uh, text we were looking at there in Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I know how both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I'm instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Through his life, there's ups and downs. You're not going to be long in any one of them. So remember, if you're going through abounding times, that's subject to change. So don't get too comfortable in those abounding times. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It is appointed to you, not only to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. We've had it real good here in the United States of America for a long time. Brought this up, and we'll have to keep repeating it. It isn't going to be like that anymore. It's going to cost something to be a Christian now. We're not used to that. But we have to be prepared for that. We have to accept that. We have to be willing to count the cost. Whatever, it, whatever we got to lose to follow the Lord Jesus, you have to be prepared for that. Jesus said that. You have to count the cost. If you're not willing to leave behind 
these things. If you're not willing to lose these things, you can't be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. You can't be my disciple if you're not willing to lose all. Abounding times are not forever. That's the first consideration. Second, just like we saw in Deuteronomy, God says to remember. In Deuteronomy there in that passage, God is reminding them of how he rescued them from their slavery. How he brought them through the terrible, terrifying wilderness. He could have left them in their slavery. Now, in the New Testament, we know that that was a shadow and a picture of the greater salvation, of the greater rescue, the true Passover, where the Lord Jesus redeemed us with his own blood from slavery to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have been given a greater redemption than Israel according to the flesh. And you owe much more gratitude. God could have left you to perish in your sins. So never forget how much gratitude we owe God. In good times, it's amazing how quick we forget the hard times. I know in my life, God, I, I've had to go through many hard times. Uh, times I didn't think I was going to make it. And God brought me through. And now for, for a number of years, I've had pretty, pretty good and I find the memory fading. That's dangerous. We can never forget. Take time to think about where you were before. Think about what God brought you out of. Think about the sins you're guilty of. Think about the punishment you deserve. And think about how Christ Jesus was willing to take your guilt upon himself. And die for your sins. And how he called you to die with him in the way of the cross. Following him. Because it's through much tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. So we must never forget. Remind yourself every day. Especially in times of prosperity. It's easier actually in times of affliction. It is. When you're in times of affliction, you can't really enjoy the things of this world. You know, the food don't taste good. You're worried all the time. Maybe you're in pain. You're afraid. It's easier to focus on God in times of affliction. In times of prosperity is where you can get weak. And you have to be disciplined. You have to discipline yourself every day to not forget. Remember the church at Laodicea. They got soft and weak. Another thing that we can do, I believe, that helps us in times of prosperity is to use those times of prosperity to be a blessing to others. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In times of abundance, whether you're in times of affliction or in times of abundance, you should use whatever God has given you to glorify him and to be a blessing to others. Bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul, Paul heaps a lot of praise on those Christians who were suffering poverty and affliction, and out of their lack, they were giving to other Christians who were suffering affliction. They were using what treasures they had on the earth even what little they had to build up treasures in heaven. Paul makes it very clear to Timothy that the people of God are to be busy about good works. And don't let the world dictate to you what those good works are. The world has its idea of good works, doesn't it? They're all about good works too, except they're not really that good. And they don't have anything to do with glorifying God, do they? So don't let them tell you what a good work is. The Bible will tell you what a good work is. You do what God says are good works. Sometimes the world is going to tell you your good works are bad works. When we tell people about the Lord Jesus and we warn people against sin, and we tell them there's only one way to peace with God, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ, the world says that's wickedness. The world says that's hateful. Right? And bigoted. You're a bigot to say that Christ Jesus is the only Savior. There's plenty of Saviors out there. Think God isn't big enough to save people all kinds of different ways? That's what the world says. The world doesn't tell you what a good work is. God tells you what a good work is. So you build up treasures in heaven doing what pleases God. That will help you in a time of prosperity. Here's another one. Rejoice and praise your God in the times of abounding. James, it says in James, if is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. In times of abounding and prosperity, sing. Praise. Give thanks. Praise, sing, and give thanks. Be very, very thankful. Sing and rejoice. Praise your God. You do it publicly in the church. You do it privately when you're all by yourself. But be much in praise. Rejoice always. That's going to keep you from stumbling in times of abundance. If you're busy thanking God and being grateful and praising and singing, it's hard. It's going to be a lot harder anyway to fall into some kind of sin. Because you're thinking about God. And your heart's toward God. And you're using that time of prosperity to give gratitude and thanks. So that's what you do. If you're merry, sing psalms. Praise your God. That'll help you in a time of abundance. Find your contentment in a time of abounding in your God. Number six, count all other things, no matter how great and happy, nothing compared to the love of God in Christ. No matter how great you've got it, you should count it as nothing compared to God. If you'll turn over a couple of pages in Philippians, chapter 3, verse 7, Paul talks about this in his own life. 
and he talked about all the things he had before Christ. He thought he was something. He was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And things were actually going pretty good for him as far as worldly standards go. But if you look in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, He says this, but what things were gained to me, those things I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I, ca I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do but count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, that by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. For him, things of this world are nothing. The treasures, all the treasures in Egypt, are not worth the contempt of falling, falling. Uh, following Christ. Following Christ is his greatest joy. Christ Jesus is his greatest treasure. Everything else in the world is nothing to him. And that's the way our attitude is supposed to be. Have no other joy supreme in your heart over Christ. And you can have other things too. You can have good things. You don't have to be... Um, uh, miserable all the time. Sometimes Christians get accused of that. Well, you're Christians, you're supposed to be sad and unhappy all the time. You're supposed to be all the time beating yourselves, right? But that is not biblical. That isn't true. Be happy and joyful. Should be happy and joyful. But our number one joy and happiness is the Lord. Everything else is secondary. And everything else we enjoy is in the Lord. Think about the things you get to keep in Christ. You think about all the believers. You have a family. You know that the, the people of God inherit the earth. In Christ we inherit the earth. And all the wicked will be rousted out of it. There's a day coming where there will not be one wicked person standing on the ground of this planet. That's hard to believe. Because it looks like they got the planet. But the day is coming. Where it's going to be only believers here. That's your inheritance. Because it's Christ's. And everything that's Christ is yours. And you're Christ's. Also, rejoice in other people's abounding times. The Tenth Commandment says we're not to covet. And there's an implication there that we're to rejoice in other people's good. It may be you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're suffering. Things are going bad for you. Maybe they're going bad for you as far as earthly things go and spiritually. Maybe you're, you're in a dark time spiritually and it's hard for you. Rejoice in God's blessing on others. Love can do that. Love is able to rejoice when others rejoice. You weep when others weep. 
You rejoice when others rejoice. And you can find your joy in their joy. And you'll find a blessing in their blessing. That's what you're supposed to do too. Do not envy. Do not envy God's blessing on somebody else. Do not covet. Do not be bitter at God's blessing on somebody else. First of all, you don't know what's really going on in their life. Second of all, that's ingratitude toward God. That is not godly contentment. If you're content with God's providence, and remember, everything that falls out in your life is according to God's providence. If you're content with God's providence, and you're content with God's promises, and you're content with the Savior, you will be able to rejoice in other people's good. An envious heart, a heart that resents other people's blessings, is a heart that is not content in God. So we must rejoice when others rejoice and be blessed in other people's blessing. So this is the secret of how Paul was able to be abased and how to abound. He was able to do all these things in Christ who strengthened him. And if there's any of these things you lack, brother or sister, this is all wisdom from God. And if any of you lack wisdom, you pray and ask God for it. And he's not going to withhold that from you if you ask in faith. These are things that I am seeking to attain to just to you. This is a high Christian virtue. Godliness with contentment in every circumstance, whether you're high or whether you're low. That is a, a, a high, high watermark of Christian maturity we all are striving to attain to. You pray and ask God for that wisdom. It's a gift from God. We have to seek it. So let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have provided for us richly all things to enjoy. But especially you have given us your only begotten Son. That in him we might have all things, but especially that we might be reconciled to you. Heavenly Father, we do ask that we, we would be conformed to the mind of Christ. And how even in his deepest sorrow and suffering, he could pour out his heart to you and love you and seek to glorify and honor you above all things. And find his joy in the Heavenly Father. Please grant us that faith as well. Please grant us to be like your son in that. Please work these things in us by your spirit. Help us to love one another and help each other. And please work in us this godly contentment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.